And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Whether you're a longtime listener or this is the first time you've ever listened to Startup Hustle, it's time for you to know or be reminded of that this show was created by founders for founders. And there's so much that goes into entrepreneurship, startups, owning, running, managing, and growing a business. But the thing that I am a big advocate of is when investment comes in, that investors think of founders first and not just trample all over everything that founders have built in and around their startup. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I've got a great guest to do that with. And before we get started, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Wix. Yes, our friends over at Wix know a thing or two about turning the scrappy startup into a global organization that serves millions of people. And they want to share what they've learned with Startup Hustle listeners in their new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix. When you tune into the Ready for Takeoff by Wix podcast, you get to hear from Wix founders and company leaders. They share super short lessons to help you build better programs and teams faster. And that's a topic I can get behind. Subscribe and follow the Ready for Takeoff by Wix podcast wherever you listen to this show. With me today, I've got Brett Calhoun, and Brett is the Director of Operations at Scale. That is a venture capital firm located in Columbia, Missouri. You can learn more about what Scale does as well as what Wix.com does by the link you'll find in the show notes. Brett's website is scale-vc.com. Once again, straight out of Columbia, Missouri. Brett, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. I'm pumped to be on the show and talk about something I'm extremely passionate about. Yeah, I'm glad to have you as well. And, you know, I think let's just go ahead and start our conversation with a little bit of information about your backstory. Yep. So how I got into startups, I did not come from a tech background. I started in the accounting finance world. Um, CPA was doing work in the in the valuation world, a lot of transactional stuff. So sell side M&A, litigation, purchase price allocations for small businesses to Fortune 100 companies. Um actually got into startups when I came to grad school at, at the Crosby MBA at University of Missouri and had the opportunity to work with a pre-seed fund investing in Missouri founders. And that was with a guy named Bill Turpin, who you might've heard of or not. He was kind of a legend of the startup world. Um, Bill's actually in Ben Horowitz's book and he was on the team that managed uh, to actually write JavaScript. Um, so was immersed in this community of working with founders who are extremely passionate about what they're doing, but operating under constraints. And we were helping them get access to capital, uh, which is just one piece of the equation that we're solving at scale. Fell in love with, with that work, uh, did that for nine months till we invested the remaining capital to fund, and then had the opportunity to go work with one of our portfolio companies called Patient, um, which is a VC-backed fintech startup uh, solving pain points in the healthcare industry. So got some operating experience there. Um, 
but wanted to get back in the investing scene, which is more my personality of, um, you know, really working at multiple different deals and working with um, more than just one founder. And so I had the opportunity to work with the Legal Tech Fund, which is the first venture capital firm focused on legal technology. And while I was there, um, outside of just investing, we actually incubated a company called Cap Gains, which is solving pain points with government tax incentives, starting with qualified small business stock. So any founders listening to this podcast, it's something you should really pay attention to, especially um, when you're getting ready to exit, because you can save 100% in your capital gains taxes. So we did that. Um, similar around the similar time, I also co-founded a lending startup called Charlie Mike. And so as a little pattern here um, in the entrepreneurship world, most most people you know, think of founders as crazy because you're always working, hustling, and a lot of times you're working with no income, which is kind of what I was doing for the last three or four years leading up to my work at scale. Um, so co-founded a lending platform where we're financing closing costs on VA mortgages for veterans. Um, started doing that about two years ago, got a partnership with a bank during COVID. And since then, we've helped a little over 700 veterans get into homes. Um, and then all of this is kind of leading into working at scale, which is my dream job of not only investing in startups, but working on the front lines with our founders. And um, so what we really do is we invest first checks into companies as early as the idea stage to a pre-seed stage. And then we work with them for, for 12 weeks um, to help them go from zero to one. And so that's kind of, you know, leading up to my, my work at scale. So one of the things that, and for those of you, Listening, I first ran into Brett at uh, a VC networking event. It was actually that was actually the first in-person event that I had gone to that wasn't one of our own small gatherings at an at you know Full Scale does events at uh, uh, we do invite people to come up to our suite at a local arena where we'll do everything from going to a rodeo to uh, you know seeing a concert. But I was back at my first person event and man, it felt like two years. Had, had you gone to an event prior to that? Had you gone to anything with it? I mean, there was like 125 people at that thing. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I've been in a room with this many people in a bit. Um, not very many events we did. Uh, so luckily one of our really close, he's actually an LP in our fund is Joe Kaiser, who's from the Jeff city, Columbia, Missouri area, invited us to an event out in uh, California where Mercado Partners, the fund that he worked for, was putting on a um, festival or like leadership summit for um, investors and founders. And so I actually took a few of our founders from scale and flew out there. So that was probably the only event prior, um, which was a good opportunity for us because being in Columbia, Missouri, you don't have a ton of VC funds and like, you know, all of these um, different organizations to really take our companies to a network with investors. So that was a good opportunity similar to the one with flyover. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was sitting there talking to you and I, I wasn't super familiar with scale at the time. And uh, you immediately got my attention because you were talking about the fact that if you, if you invest in a tech startup, you really needed them to have a technical co-founder. And when I think about investing in startups and you think about founders first, I think one of the, best things you can do for a non-technical founder is kind of push them towards having a technical cohort, you know, or I don't want to say cohort, say counterpart, but you know, you get, I don't know, man, I talked to 
non-technical founders a lot that don't have a CTO or someone technical with them. And I'm thinking, man, the best thing you could do, and I tell them this too, the best thing you can do is find someone that's technical to work with you. And it, it, when you talk, when we talk about investing in founders first, like, I mean, what comes to mind? Yep. So investing in founders first really kind of goes back to our whole thesis. Um, so we're investing as early as a founder with an idea, meaning if you're in the pre-seed stage and investing that early, what really drives the business obviously is the founding team. So one, you need to have the ability to sell, whether that's to customers, investors, um, or selling to folks to actually bring on talent. And the second is building. So you need to have somebody technical on the team. Um, and if you have the right pieces, the mindset and motivation, you can really build anything if you're going for the right market. And so that's the second thing. So we focus on the founders. That's probably 80% of the weight of when we're looking at investing in something is just we're doing diligence on the founding team. And the second would be the market. So, you know, is this a multi-billion dollar market opportunity? We believe in the power law at scale. Um, you know, 99% of companies are going to fail. That 1% is going to reach billion dollar status and it's going to three to five X the fund. And so that's what, you know, we can invest in niche ideas that are only going to do 200 million exits. And then the third is really the market dynamics. What does the competitive landscape look like? Um, what's the supply and demand in this market? Is this the right timing? All that stuff. But it really all goes back to the founder because ideas change. So if you're investing this early, a lot of times either you're going to pivot or the product's going to look completely different than you envisioned it on day one um, where we're investing. And so constantly focusing on the founding team. And, and you can see that through our application process where we're really only asking questions about the founder and trying to pull data points out of their track record, whether that's their career, or just like life in general, how they deal with adversity. Do they have the right mindset and motivation to build um, a high growth tech startup? And the, the next thing we focus on too is really we do disc personality assessments, which are... Yeah. Digging into, you know, what is the founder's personality? Are they a driver for this business? If they're not a solo founder, do they pair well personality-wise with their co-founder they've chosen? And then lastly, it's doing an interview with our managing partner, Willie Schlacks, other co-founder, Jay Malik, and myself. And for us, you know, doing diligence on people, we actually, in my opinion, we have a very unfair advantage because... Willie, who is one of the co-founders of Equipment Share, he's hired, I don't know, 10,000 people over the last six, seven years. And so, and they've got data points on 10,000 people in terms of their personalities. And so they, they know how to pick winners and they have a pattern recognition for picking people and understanding where they fit on with teams. And so that aspect has really helped us, um, been able to pick, you know, pick some diamonds out of the rough for, um, choosing the right founding teams. It's interesting that, yeah, I can't say that I've ever had a conversation with a fund or a VC that mentioned DISC. And when I talk about DISC, so drive, influence, steadfast, compliance, there's some different variants that some use for the, for, for the personality inventory. I actually wrote about this in my book, Balance Me, because there's, you know, so many people are ridden with anxiety or have problems with in their personal or professional lives. And so much of it has to do with the personality style that they represent compared to the other people that they either work with or live with. And uh, so much of it's about learning how to communicate or understand 
the people around you. So when you talk about what you're looking for on a disc personality profile and a founder, like what are the things that really stand out? Yep. I mean, there's a, there's a few things. So one that's, if you look at someone who has an extremely high D and low C, so D is dominance, dominance, C is conscientious. Um, so C is going to be more like analytical people and D is going to be more sales. Um, and so if you have someone with extremely high D, um, extremely low C, that's one thing to, to watch out for because you're going to need somebody to offset that where um, this person is just really, really good at selling, um, but maybe not great at like the analytical skills and like actually stepping back and being thoughtful and not just driving, driving, driving all the time. Um, and so those are like some things we look for. Um, if somebody's like extremely high S and low in everything else, um, they're probably more of maybe an employee rather than a founder. And so um, there's different ways to think about it and there's different personalities to pair with each other. And one thing that we do focus on in scale, kind of going back to this founder first idea is that, sure, we're all about like company growth and understanding how to go to market you know, how to go from zero to one, what's the best way to do this? Some of the, some of the steps in the process, it's not necessarily, um, it's not so like an academic process. I mean, every, everybody's way of going from zero to one is different, but one thing we also focus on is personal growth as well and how that mirrors your company growth. And so constantly taking some of the learnings from, you know, founders like Willie and Javik Schlax of Equipature, like Wade Foster of Zapier and some of the ways they think about personal growth. Um, and so we, we have a lot of sessions that are, you know, not just about the company, but it's more, it's more personal. And like, how do you continue to grow yourself as a person before, and how do you put yourself first before actually going out and hiring a team of individuals? Um, and so that is kind of going back to the, the founder first aspect for, for scale. Yeah. When, as I mentioned, DISC, and there's some uh, a couple different words. So you have drive and dominance, stuff like that. I'm the ever so rare D and C combo, um, which, like you know, like I said, is 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 odd. Now the I've always associated the D with drive, and that is also dominance. You have influence and all this other stuff, but it's a uh, it, the 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 highly driven person usually wants to be left alone to continue to obsess on whatever they're working on. You just need to make sure they're obsessing on the business. If that's what you're looking for in a founder <laughs> and not something else. Uh, <laughs> uh, and when you talk about the putting personality styles of people together, some people would think you're like, Hey, if I get two highly driven people in it, on a team with each other, that might be the greatest thing ever. It's not. Um, they will either, they will either take over the world or they will kill each other trying. So uh, there's certain types of, of people like my wife is, is on the opposite side of the personality scale as me. And that's good because you need a level of patience and steadfastness that um, to put up with my shit, which is pretty much the truth for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, my girlfriend and I are, similar it's i my profile is is like yours i have a, quite a bit of i and then dnc are about the same so if you look at my profile it's idc and then i have zero s um and my girlfriend has a ton of s and so 
um, we do balance our each other out quite well. And yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, and I know you, you said something earlier about pushing folks to, to hire tech talent, which is one thing we do. And it's, I guess for a founder that has an idea, they might, you know, you can use a dev shop or whatever, but trying to navigate actually hiring a developer is really hard to do. If you've never done it before, you, you might not know where to start. And so even like pre-scale, like if I find a founder that's, you know, we, we, we believe is, um, could be a rock star. It's trying to help them navigate the understanding of how to hire a CTO. And I might even take some time out of my calendar to help them find a CTO, um, so that they're in a good position for us to invest in this company. Um, and that's, you know, in the Midwest, that is something you often see just because we're the supply and demand for tech talent is not, um, there's a, there's a lot more demand than there is a supply here. That's all I can say. Well, I know a couple of things about that working over at full scale. So that's, uh, you know, what Brett's talking about is there's about 350,000 open tech jobs right now. And I don't mean sales jobs at tech companies. I mean, like true technology positions. And, you know, with that, there's often a big difference between when people will look at someone that is a strong coder and they'll be like, that's our leader. It's not always the right person. And, you know, there's, you know, much like I mentioned with the personality styles about sometimes drive means that you're, you know, you're obsessed and focused and locked in on things. Uh, developers are the same way. And, you know, not just because someone's great at coding doesn't mean they're great at leading a team or, or really even formulating, establishing and executing a plan to accomplish the vision associated with the, with the platform. So um, I just ask, you talk about, I mean, we literally, that's one of our qualifying questions at, at, at full scale. So would you rather be on the team or lead the team? And some people will give an answer and then some people are like, I'm cool either way. And I find that people are pretty open and honest about that. So let's talk, let's stop for a second and talk about the Midwest startup ecosystem. Um, what, what do you think makes it unique compared to the other regions of the country? Yep. I think what one thing that makes the Midwest unique is that because of some of these constraints, um, there's a lot more adversity in the Midwest with trying to build a company. You don't, you can't just walk across the street and get handed a, a bag of $2 million from a, from a VC fund. And, you know, you have to, you have to bootstrap your company and really show some, some serious traction and then raise money from venture capital funds. And so, that has caused a lot of founders, honestly, to bootstrap their companies, be hyper-focused on running lean um, and not grow at all costs or just not necessarily grow at all costs, but only hire when it hurts, which is a quote Wade said on one of our sessions the other day, only hire when it hurts because um, so it's, it's forced, forced founders and operators to be more scrappy and build companies based on first principles. Um, really be hyper-focused on the customer and not just getting press or having flashy logos or target the top VC funds. Um, it's really just building your company. And so and you see all this stuff out now about, you know, 2022, there's going to be less funding. Everybody needs to, 
you know, run lean and, you know, the best businesses are going to get funding, da, 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 Like that's, these are all things that everybody already should have been doing. And the companies that aren't are going to get burned um, in the Midwest. I mean, particularly for our companies, like we're pretty early stage. So we're somewhat sheltered by what's been happening in the markets, you know, more downstream series, a B, series, a plus. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for us, like in our thesis is really, you know, outlier venture returns are really investing in founders that are strengthened by struggle. And that's literally founders in the Midwest. Um, and so I, I, I think that's kind of like the outlier and, um, the fact that you can run lean here because it's not extremely expensive to, um, for like cost of living, um, and hiring talent. Now that's somewhat changed a bit just because there's a lot of developers getting poached by, um, tech companies on the East and West coast in Missouri. So I, I mean, I've seen that a little bit where, you know, a couple of our companies would send an offer to a developer and then they get an offer that's double what they just offered them because there was a tech company on the, on the East or West coast trying to hire remotely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of sums it up. It's just really just, it's the adversity has forced founders here to build on first principles. Um, if they don't make it through the adversity, they're going to fail. Um, and then second, it's the ability to run lean is, um, you're forced to run lane, but you can run lane here because of the cost of living and everything else that's cheaper. You said something that stuck out. You talk about op basically operating your business responsibly, which is something you should have already been doing. Um, yeah, that's important. When it comes to funding, maybe I should work on mine for a second. When I mentioned that our friends over at Wix, yes, the website and business building platform, know a thing or two about turning the scrappy startup team into a global organization serving millions of people. And they want to share what they've learned with you in a new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix, where the, the company's founders and leaders share super short lessons. You know, it took me like five episodes to be able to say that, try that, share super short to share super short lessons designed to build your better products and teams faster. Subscribe and follow the Ready for Takeoff by Wix podcast right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. And hey, founders, while you're listening, we have a new uh, quick, short, and sweet two-part series about validating your app. It just went live. Scroll back two episodes if you missed out, and you'll be able to, to learn more about it. Um, you know, we're, we're, I'm here with Brett Calhoun, who's the <clears throat> director of operations at Scale. It's a venture capital firm, scale-vc.com. So many of you are looking for early stage funding, and that's what they do. Um, you know, Brett, I, w I think that it let, let's talk about that for a second, because I, I really want to key that. You know, when you're out raising capital as a founder and you've got someone right now on the show talking about how they're looking to founders first, even the idea phase might not be too early. But Brett, I, let's let's hear your pitch for why people should uh, should go to scale and t and tell you about what they're up to or what they want to be up to. Yep. So. You said it, we, we invest as early as the idea stage. Nothing is too early for us. Um, at this point, we're almost just recruiting people um, to come and join our scale community. And so, yeah, we're, we're investing through two models. One is an accelerator fund model. The other is a venture studio model. 
Um, on the venture studio side, it's we have ideas internally. We want to build companies. A lot of them are pain points that come out of equipment share or some of our advisors' companies. And what we do is we source technical talent to come in and build that. And secondly, out of the accelerator model, the re- it's it's an accelerator, VC, pre-seed fund, incubator, and I'll kind of walk through why that's the case. So we invest in companies upfront and then work with them for 12 weeks as think of us as like a silent co-founder where we're coming in and we're basically part of that company's team and helping with whatever is they need. So onboard them to our Slack community where we have, you know, of the last two cohorts over 30 founders and, you know, we've got a ton of advisors on there, but you know, our companies need hiring support. They need help finding tech talent. They need help finding marketing people, help finding finance people. Um, they might need to understand like how to talk to investors and how that's different from talking to customers, revamping their pitch decks or building financial models, trying to understand financial plan. How much money do I need to raise? What do I need to raise it for? What's driving revenue? Like all of these things, there's so many questions. And then on top of that, it's not just us being part of your team and move and being whatever it is you need. We also have um, a technical EIR that's helping our companies on like the product dev side and something else that's in the work too is actually bringing a community of developers that are local to work with scale companies, TBD on details for that. It's in the works. Um, and next is really just the level. So we have folks who have built billion dollar companies who are here to support our founders. Um, so think of equipment share who, you know, William Javik Schlack started this company in 2015 in Columbia, Missouri. Um, last seven years, scaled that to over a billion in revenue. I mean, they've hired three, four, or they've raised three, four billion in debt and equity from top VC funds. They've hired 10,000 people. They understand the ins and outs of a business that have failed and, you know, learn from those mistakes. And so we have these people who have, you know, built these billion dollar companies, not just any companies, but companies that were built under capital constraints. And all these constraints that you see in the Midwest that we're trying to spearhead. Um, and these people are carving time out of their calendars to offer support and insights to our founders. And so this is a white glove, you know, investor and service, smart capital that you can't really get anywhere else. Um, we're not just a logo for your resume to go out and raise funding. We're here to be part of your, be part of your team's family for 12 weeks and then you know, after that, it's not like we just like cut off the cord and we're done working with you. It's really just, there's no structure after that. It's more of marketing. So you come in with a community of founders, a cohort of founders um, to build your company. And then we continue doing that. I mean, I'm still helping companies from our first cohort raise their, their next rounds or help them hire their next talent or whatever it is they need. Um, so that's really, I mean, our pitch at scale and I, you know, I would love to, I wish I could have one of the, the founders come to the show and talk about how, you know, we've had an effect on the last 12 weeks or, you know, what we've done. Um, but it's truly like, for me, it's, it's such a fulfilling job of seeing these people's dreams come true and working on the front lines with them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit, I mean, there's a lot more to unpack there, but. <laughs> well, you mentioned a whole lot of things and I think that a lot of that stuff, if you think about being a founder to start up any type of entrepreneur and the hardest part about starting a business is exactly that starting the business. And there's 10 million things to go into it and consider that 
while yes, they're directly related to the business that you started, they're not necessarily directly related to the business you've started. You know, it's just a lot of people, let's just, let's get completely out of tech. Let's just say you started a freaking pottery business and it's because you love making pots. You love working with clay and spinning the wheel and seeing the final product. Well, if you want to have it be a business, there's a hell of a lot more that goes into it. You might need a cash register and a website and you need an accountant and all these different things. And I, I think that that's one of the things that overwhelms so many early stage founders is they ignore a lot of that stuff or they do it poorly. They're kind of one in the same. Ignoring it and doing it poorly aren't really kind of the same because you end up with a crap result. And I think that while it's easy, I think entrepreneurs are very independent creatures on many days and we want to learn how to do everything ourselves, everything ourselves. I think the thing that I've learned as I've gotten older is that it's really wise and smart to go find people that know how to do all that stuff right away and you pay them to go do it for you. And, you know, whether it's getting help from a fund or an accelerator or any type of business development type support that you can get in your local community. The more you get that help, the more you can get, we talked earlier about that type, that driven dominant personality type that exists in a lot of entrepreneurs. Hey, it'll let you get back to what you're obsessing over. And, you know, these are all things that need to be done. And most of the things that you mentioned as you go down that list are that make up the structural integrity of a business. They're the same for all businesses, you know, like there's there, you get this 80, 20 rule where 80% of it is going to be good for all of your businesses. So go out there and get someone to do it. And if you forget the further you get down the rabbit hole, that the bigger that ball of rubber bands is that you not only have to pull out of the rabbit hole, but then you have to sit there and unwind. Guess what? That's going to take away your focus for whatever you really want to be doing at the business or what needs to be done. Now, in regards to raising capital, I'm a big advocate of teaming up. You mentioned not just being a logo for your future fundraising. Anybody that can put you in front of people that will listen to what you're saying from an investor standpoint um, is, is a strong ally and someone that you should really be thankful to have on your team. I, you know, I do this a lot. I just spent some time putting one of our full scale clients in front of several invest investment opportunities and it saved them a bunch of time. And that's time you can get back to doing what you want to do. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that people have raising capital. When, once you get outside of the major capital centers, which are the biggest cities and, you know, you're talking I mean, obviously, San, the San Francisco Bay Area gets the most attention when it comes to that. But I mentioned before we recorded, I just got back from New York City where I went with my wife for the weekend, which, you know, you can just walk out in New York City and just look around. You can see the sheer magnitude and scale of everything that's going on there. And then you come back to a place like Kansas City and my wife was like, wow, it just doesn't, nothing seems very tall here now. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, I, I've got notes here talking about the big, what are the biggest challenge in raising capital and building startups in the Midwest? I'm going to just strike the word Midwest and replace it outside of 
the five to 10 major cities that people raise capital in. So, you know, what are the biggest challenges that people have that startups have raising capital and building startups outside of like five places everyone knows? I mean, what, what, what comes to mind when I ask that? Yeah. I, so there's, there's a few things. It really just starts with this word access. Um, so access to capital, obviously, if you come out of the major metro areas where VC funding is, um, you know, you're not in person with anybody. So it's all remotely. The majority of investors these days invest remotely. They don't just look at companies in person. Um, but it's it's more than that. So it's, you know, you have this lack of capital or access problem. And then it trickles down where you have startups leaving because there's a lack of capital. Um, these startups are leaving, you start losing these network effects, you start losing talent, you start losing knowledge. And so what we're doing at scale is we're really filling all of these access gaps. Okay. And it also starts with really what's important is the knowledge. Um, there's capital out there, but like knowing how to communicate with investors and how to approach that capital and what to do before you approach it, because there's like a point in time where it's like, Hey, you might get an intro to an investor, but you might completely burn that intro because you didn't approach the situation right, or you didn't tell your story in the right way. When investors are going to look at your deck, you know, you got two slides. If they don't like the first two slides, they're probably not going to look at it anymore. They might be in the, in their Uber, pulling it up on their phone. And if that first phrase on their, on your intro slide doesn't, doesn't sound good, it's done. Um, and so it's really one, it's, it's getting these companies ready and understanding how to talk to the investors first. Um, and before that, it's not just talking to investors. And what we do at scale is not just focus on fundraising. We focus on the founder first. So how do you personally get ready to start this company? How do you have the confidence, the mindset, the right motivation to build a massive company? Okay. And then it's building it and it's, it's understanding your customers and then it's getting traction. So the fundraising is something that just kind of organically happens if you do all these things right. Um, you know, we, we've had, you know, one company that had issues with raising, they had, they, they had an offer pulled actually. And then since then they've had some, some struggles and it's like, you're doing 20 K a month in revenue, make $1 in profit. And like the, the funds are going to come. Um, and so, you know, in the Midwest, in terms of, I don't come all over the place here, but in terms of like capital problems in the Midwest in general, if you're outside of Chicago, there's a lot of capital issues where you have to 100% get traction first and before you can even get funding. Um, and so in order to get funding at the stage that scale is investing at one, we're the only fund in Missouri that invests this early. And then two, it's going from that like angel friends and family round to like an actual pre-seed round. And there's not really a lot of pre-seed capital invest pre-revenue or even like 5k MRR revenue. And so then it's like drawing capital here. Um, and which is another thing that we're trying to do is bring our network from coast to coast and draw that capital here. Um, and so to, I guess what I would say for, for companies, it's, it's also like changing the mindset and it's not, being so focused or, you know, having a loss of, of confidence when you're talking to investors as well and thinking they're like 
so important and like amazing people. And like, they're so much smarter than you. And like, you're in the Midwest, this, this investor is in New York or they're in LA or whatever. They went to Harvard, Stanford. It doesn't matter. Like what they're doing is they're like a steward of someone else's capital. And they're trying to find the diamonds in the rough to invest in. And so I would say like going into it as a founder, you should have all the confidence in the world if you're talking to an investor. And so it's, it's like things like that, like change the mindset. Like you are actually giving this person a job, like they're, they need to invest in you or they need to find great companies like you. So it's, you know, nailing the storytelling, not focusing on the fundraising, focusing on building the business and letting the fundraising come. So you have like, it's like access, like mindset, what's motivating you, all these different things that we're trying to change. And that's kind of like going back to this personal growth too, and helping influence these different mindsets um, at scale. And then I think, I'm trying to think, there was another, um, another thing I was going to say. Well, I've got a couple of things while you think about that. Because when I think, I think when it comes to, <clears throat> you know, raising capital in general, I think that people have these really conservative plans and visions that they're they're like, oh, I, I really want to make this seem like I'm not over inflating it. Don't be afraid to tell people what your big vision is. You know, that's, and those are words that, that Sandy Kemper, the founder and, you know, CEO of C2FO um, said to me many years ago that really stuck with me. And, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm having a hard time getting people to understand that this is a a hundred million dollar a year revenue opportunity. Well, don't be afraid to tell people your big vision, you know, don't, cause that you talk about venture capitalists and, investors out there looking for the diamond in the rough, make yourself the diamond in the rough, shine yourself up, you know, polish yourself up, make yourself gleam and shine. And then, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's a general lack of experience at understanding venture capital. I think so much of that is people chasing down the wrong kind of investors and funds. Like you mentioned that you're you're at scale and go to scale-bc.com to, to let them know about what you're doing, but you have, you know, you know, you got to point towards the right in the right direction. If you're talking, if you don't, if you're not a fintech platform and you're chasing down investors that only invest in fintech, you're going to have a pretty frustrating day every day. And, and I think also with that is with that lack of understanding is, you know, I, 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 dude, I talked to, so I go to those events, like, like the last one I saw you at and I'll talk to some, How's your fundraising efforts going? Oh, it's not so good. I've I've got turned down every time. Uh, that I'm sorry to hear that. How many people you talk to, dude? I talked to like seven people. Okay, <laughs> you're like 67 short of the yep. average at that point. You know, like you got to get out there, and it's like, but but that doesn't mean you just need to talk to 67 more people that write investment checks. You need to talk to 67 more of the right people. And, you know, it's, it's those every time you're going to get a little better at it. And, you know, I think that another thing too, is, uh, as it sometimes it's just a little too early and, you know, it's like, if you're down and this is back to the misaligned investors, like, I mean, you, you sometimes you got to sit down and just do some work. Uh, I think one of the things here in 2022, that's, you're seeing a big fundamental change and, and I've been saying this for a while. I'm like, you know, eventually profitability has to has to come back to the forefront. And I think that, you know, this is just my own opinion, but I think that 
that the local and national media over glorifies fundraising. You know, I'd rather hear about the company that was, was profitable and grew and created a bunch of jobs and added a bunch of customers rather than just like every day. It's like company X raises Y company X one raises Y one. I'm like, you know, I'm going to start spewing F words here in a minute, (laughs) but, but I mean, some of that, eventually you got to make some money with it, which means you have to sit down you have to, you have to execute the plan that you're laying forward. And in a lot of cases, that means listening to what other people's opinions are, you know, putting it all together. And I don't know, man, just trying to, to get it popping. So we've talked, we've talked about a whole, did did you remember your other things or did I stir up eight more during my, uh, I, I mean, my, my wheels are spinning like usual. Um, you know, I, for founders, I mean, there's there's some unique insight, some wedge into a market, and you you hit it. I mean, you got to tell your your bigger vision, um, and profitability is true. I mean, it, what what you need to look for is like you know you hear about the rule of forty, are you growing fast enough, and then what is your gross profit? Um, another thing to look for too would be, I guess you know what is your customer acquisition cost, and what's the lifetime value of your customer like making sure that you know, as you're starting this company, that the unit economics actually work. And if you're spending more to acquire users constantly and you, you rather than how much they're paying you to actually for your service, like this isn't, this isn't going to be a scalable company. Um, so like the, the finances do matter. Um, I, I would say one thing I would, I would like to say too, is, you know, a lot of funds are looking for, somebody with a pedigree or a track record, like they're ex Google, or they were an early employee at this company, or they went to Harvard or Stanford or whatever, like that's, we don't necessarily care about that at scale. Um, you know, if you look at some of the folks that are involved with us, like William Javik, who started Copenshire, they didn't go to college. Uh, Wade Foster went to university of Missouri and then worked at veterans United. Like he, there's no like, pedigree there. There's no track record of building a prior company. We're just looking for people who are extremely curious and have the right mindset and motivation and can outwork everybody else in their market. Um, and so I just, I think a lot of people like undersell that and don't, you know, they're constantly looking for ways to portray themselves for investors. And it's, it's always, you know, that shouldn't be top of mind. And like you said, like all these companies in the press that get funding from investors and like, that's what everybody looks at. And it's a lot of time, like these rounds, like if a company raises $5 million, you know, they, they finally get one investor to invest, let's say, take up half the round and lead. And then you've got two and a half million dollars coming from other investors who probably just invested because that person invested. And there's not actually conviction in the company. It's conviction because there's some logo that invested in their company. And so it's just like some of these things to remember. And, um, yeah, I I think founders just need to realize that it's not all about investing and that you're not building this company to raise funding from VC funds. And I think if you come at it from that mindset and you refine your priorities of really focusing on the customer instead of the investor, that will help. You know, I dropped out of five colleges. Five. I did all right. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Wix. Are you an entrepreneur or founder trying to figure out 
how to successfully navigate the rocket ship that is hypergrowth. Do you want to take control over your company's online presence internally and externally? Well, our friends over at Wix Enterprise can help. Wix Enterprise is a platform that provides businesses with an all-in-one solution for all types of growth and, and business needs. Create high-performing websites for your business, all of which are backed by enterprise-grade security as well as expert support to help you manage and scale online. Wix.com forward slash enterprise. There's a link in the show notes for more information. Well, Brett, these uh, conversations go by pretty quickly. What about today's chat stood out for you? I think what stood out for me is just the opportunity to, to really sit down and, and talk about what we've been building for the last 12 months and what's driving us to work day and night, you know, 80, 90 hours a week for our companies and, and why it's so important that we continue doing this into perpetuity. Yeah, I think some of the things that stood out for me are related to, you know, there's, I, I, I think the importance of selling your big vision is, you know, like, don't be afraid to sit down in front of an investor and talk about, you know, Hey, look, this is, this opportunity could be very big. I think one of the things I didn't say with that, that I wanted to add was, you know, you, you can't, don't be afraid to admit the things that you're not good at. This is what's going to stop me and this company from getting to a hundred million dollars a year in revenue. And this is our plan for fixing that or solving that problem. And with that, that's part of why we need $5 million in investment. Um, yeah. I think another thing that, that stood out was, you know, you mentioned something we were talking earlier about, you know, just the way that people were running their business now. And, you know, there's all this press and all this media about this lack of, possible lack of funds or investment that could be coming in economic downturn, yada, yada, yada. You know what? People are still going to invest in great companies that have great founders. So be a great founder and build a great company, you know? And, and with yeah. that, that means you're not doing stupid shit like burning your cash when and where you shouldn't be, you know, run a good business and you'll find that people will be attracted to what you're doing and how you're doing it. So you know, I mean, there's, you could probably go on and on. And I, and I think that one of the things that I want to remind everyone as well is there are firms and companies like scale that invest in early stuff. I'm tired of hearing that no one wants to invest in early stage companies because that's not true. And there are people out there doing it. They're maybe not interested in your offer because of certain things or qualities about your company or your readiness for the market or your ability to get there. And that might be what you need to go back and spend a little more time working on. Once again, with me today, I had Brett Calhoun, the Director of Operations at Scale. That's a venture capital firm in Columbia, Missouri, scale-vc.com. There's a link in the show notes for that. Brett, I'll see you down the road, buddy. Thanks a lot, Matt. This is a great time. And um, you know, your last comment there about capital it's it's still in the markets more dry pattern in vc than ever um all this talk about not investing in companies is really more geared towards growth companies and funds that are worried because they've had a lot of down rounds um they've got a whole portfolio full of ex overpriced stocks so 
um, don't don't be concerned if you're an early stage founder. Don't be an overpriced stock. See you next time. <laughs> Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.